0: Hi everybody, Jimmy DeYoung, and welcome to Prophecy Today. This edition, we're going to be focusing on what's going to be celebrated this next week. That will be the 71st birthday of the Jewish State of Israel. Winky Madad will come to this broadcast table. I know it's not the time that you think it should be, May the 14th, but you'll have to understand, and Winky will explain, it's the Jewish calendar That makes the day difference. Well, that'll be a part of some of our broadcast activities today. In just a moment, we're going to have Ken Timmerman. He looks at geopolitical activities for us around the world. We'll bring to this microphone a man who has a Middle East news update for us. That's David Dolan. And then Sharam Hadian he's going to talk about Ramadan. He was born in Iran, came to the United States, came to know Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior, now involved in a ministry trying to win these Muslim people to Jesus Christ, but also inform the body of Christ of the Islamic faith. That's all ahead Give us 90 minutes. That's what we always ask for. We'll give you the world and some great information, helping you to understand where we are in God's time. We're going to head out after the broadcast down to Defuniac Springs, Florida. We're going to the Pleasant Ridge Baptist Church. Pastor LaCroix is the man who is inviting everybody to come join us for a two-day prophecy conference. We'll be there all day on Sunday 10.30 in the morning, 6 in the evening, and then Monday evening at 6 p.m. as well. Want to invite you to come. We'll have a prophecy Q&A on Sunday evening before the regular service at 6 and on Monday at the same time, 5 o'clock before the 6 o'clock service. That's the Pleasant Ridge Baptist Church in Defuniac Springs, Florida. Come join us as we study Bible prophecy. Well, let's go to Ken Timmerman. Uh, Ken, the Islamic State leader al-Baghdadi is alive and well. We all thought he was dead. Several people had said a couple of times that they had killed them. Even the Russians made that statement. Now an appearance by al-Baghdadi via a video five years after the last time we saw him, and Islamic State still working, uh, very involved in their activities to set up a worldwide caliphate, the uh, most recent thing that we can think they've been involved in, what happened at Sri Lanka there. Talk to us about al-Baghdadi. Is he a danger, and isn't he some kind of an interesting man to be able to hide for five years and now come back on the scene?
1: He is,
2: and uh, this is very similar to what Osama bin Laden did. Don't forget, he eluded capture for uh, nearly a decade after the September 11th attacks. Uh, and it turned out he was hiding just blocks away from the National Military College of the Pakistani military. I believe that uh, Baghdadi must have help as well. Most likely his help is uh, coming from people in the Anbar province, where he came from, in Iraq. And you're absolutely right, the fact that he reappears Uh, makes this video, and it looks authentic, five years after uh, his last one, and he does it channeling bin Laden, kind of dressed the same way bin Laden was in one of his last videos with the short-barreled Kalashnikov next to him in this undefined location, announcing that he still commands ISIS and that ISIS still commands uh, followers all across the world, and they're not finished in Syria or Iraq. All of this is extremely troubling, and I think we're going to see more military operations by ISIS in the near future.
0: Well, their land is gone. They do not have any geographical headquarters for their caliphate. How be it a journalist that I know in Israel wrote a book a couple of years ago, a virtual caliphate. He was talking about using the Internet, and since we haven't seen him for five years... I saw a documented report that uh, he has been involved in 92 different attacks. Looks like they are going to the Internet to keep this network and set up their worldwide caliphate anyway, aren't they?
2: Well, for sure. They are doing that. Uh, there's no doubt about that. The attacks in Sri Lanka uh, on Easter certainly showed that he commands followers far away, uh, people who, Muslims who pledge allegiance to ISIS over the Internet. But I think his, uh, his reappearance here in this video... Uh, suggests that he also has assets on the ground in Iraq in particular. I would say Iraq more than Syria. And those assets have been keeping him alive uh, for the past five years as he has been literally the most hunted man on the planet.
0: Donald Trump is active as it relates to Iran's economy, putting sanction on them, tightening up the noose around the neck of that economy and trying to take care of uh, putting back together what Obama, when he was president, did, uh, that agreement between Iran and the rest of the world. But Donald Trump is not going to sit by idly and let that go. Well, no,
2: and the administration has taken uh, extraordinary steps over the past couple of weeks to tighten the noose on Iran economically. Uh, Their goal is to reduce their oil exports from 1.1 million barrels, which is where they are today, down to half that, 500,000, and ultimately down to zero. Uh, this is a full court press by the Trump administration to put an economic noose around the neck of the regime in Tehran uh, to keep them from exporting oil. Now, of course, you know the regime is thrashing out, and they say, well, we will just close the Strait of Hormuz if we can't export our oil. What's interesting here is that the Trump administration is thinking way, way ahead. They are playing chess, just as the Iranians think that they're playing chess. And so they're opening up other markets. Uh, We have dramatically expanded oil and gas production here in the United States. We are now the world's largest oil and gas producer, bar none. We're bigger than Saudi Arabia. We're bigger than Russia. And all of that has been over the past two to three years. Uh, a cause, uh, because uh, of um, a deregulation under the Trump administration. And this has added another 2 million barrels a day to world oil markets, double what uh, we would need to compensate for from Iran. Added to that is the prospect of bringing Libya's oil back on stream. The, all of these things combined uh, are going to put dramatic pressure on the Iranians. Their currency has already dropped five fold over the past year. It's as if every dollar that you owned a year ago was only worth 20 cents today.
1: It's
0: mm.
2: hitting them hard.
0: Yes, it certainly is. Let's circle back to the Strait of Hormuz. You were talking about it being closed, Iranians thinking that would be a way they could fend off the U.S. An- sanctions. Is there any possibility Iran could close down that strait?
2: Sure, they can close it for a day or two, uh, but that's about it. Uh, the U.S. Navy, again, is very present in the area. NATO is present in the area. We've had NATO mine sweeper, sweepers there for uh, decades, and uh, we have certainly the military might to demolish the Iranian Navy in a matter of hours. The last time they had a direct military confrontation with us, a shooting war with us, was 1987, and we sent um, you know about two thirds of the Navy to the bottom of the Persian Gulf in 12 hours. Uh, I don't think the Iranians want to do that again. They believe that they can attack an aircraft carrier they may be able to do so we'll have to see about that but uh, i just can't imagine that our navy is sitting back and watching the iranians develop new capabilities without taking countermeasures we have very powerful aegis cruisers and destroyers with uh, extremely good close-in phalanx guns on them to destroy incoming missiles or these fast attack boats that the iranians have got so I think the Navy is, and our Navy is, a, a well-positioned to reopen the, the strait of Hormuz sh- should the Iranians be so dumb to try to close it.
0: Yes, and that's a strategic geographical location. Ken, uh, we, when we were talking about al-Baghdadi, didn't necessarily bring up where he may be right now hiding, probably someplace in a deserted area. But uh, the Iraqi Shiite paramilitary forces are claiming they're going to clear out Islamic State from the Syrian border. Now, that might help find al-Baghdadi.
2: It could, if they were sincere about that effort. I have uh, a lot of doubt about that, uh, because the Iranians uh, are playing the same games that they've played for decades, blowing hot and cold on the Sunni terrorist groups. One day they support them when the Sunnis are going to attack America, the next day they hit them when they're attacking Shias. So we'll just have to see whether those Shiite militias in Iraq, controlled by Iran, uh, will actually search for Baghdadi. Will they actually clear the border between Iraq and Syria from ISIS cells? And we know that there are ISIS cells there. Let's wait and see. I, I, I think the cards have yet to be played there.
0: Yeah, absolutely. For many years, as a journalist in the Middle East, I've reported on the Muslim Brotherhood, studied the Muslim Brotherhood, they're probably the granddaddy of all terrorist organizations. And I was excited to hear that President Trump was considering uh, designating them a terrorist organization. Now I understand that Congress has weighed in on the president. Is this all going to happen?
2: It looks like it's going to happen. By the way, the president doesn't need Congress, but it's always useful to have congressional backing on this. Uh, The president uh, has the authority to designate a group uh, in an international terrorist organization. He did that with the Revolutionary Guards uh, a month ago. Uh, The State Department has regularly designated groups around the world. But it's always good to see Congress weighing in and, uh, you know, supporting that designation. This will have a dramatic impact. You are 100 percent right. The Muslim Brotherhood is the grandfather of all contemporary Sunni terrorist groups. They're the the parent of Al-Qaeda. They're the parent of Hamas in Gaza. They're the parent of the Muslim Brotherhood, obviously, in Egypt. Uh, So they're the parent of CARE, the Council on American-Islamic Relations here in the United States. So this designation will even have an impact on groups here in the
0: U.S. Absolutely. That is the case. And why we report it, you need to understand all of this political activity that's going on. It's moving real quickly right in the prophetic scenario that is found in God's Word for the end times. And we bring Ken Temmerman to this broadcast table to talk about these geopolitical activities, a must each and every week for you to hear what Ken has to say. Ken, thank you so much. Have a great weekend, buddy. We'll talk again next week.
2: Thanks so much, Jimmy. God bless.
0: We're going to take a break, and when we come back, David Dolan is standing by with his Middle East News Update. That's all ahead right here on Prophecy Today.
3: Every believer needs to understand Bible prophecy. Whether you're a novice or a student, we are here to help you. Just visit prophecytoday.com and click on the link for the Prophecy Bookstore. There you will find a large selection of CD sets, DVDs, and books for the Bible Prophecy Student written by Dr. Jimmy DeYoung and other prominent scholars. While you're there, be sure to check out Dr. DeYoung's latest series called Presidents, Politics, and Prophecy. Call Joshua Travel today at 423-821-3635 to find out more about this trip of a lifetime, or you can visit us online at joshuatravel.com.
0: Welcome back to Prophecy Today. Jimmy Young here at Broadcast Central. We leave right after the broadcast to head down to Defuniac Springs, Florida. We'll be at the Pleasant Ridge Baptist Church Pastor LaCroix is going to invite everybody in the region, and if you're in the listening area down that way to Faith Radio, you might want to put on your calendar that we'll be there all day Sunday and Monday evening with a two-day prophecy conference there at the Pleasant Ridge Baptist Church. We start Sunday morning, 10.30, and then at 5 o'clock in the afternoon on Sunday, a prophecy Q&A, followed at 6 by the teaching on Bible prophecy. And at the next 6 o'clock time, which would be Monday afternoon, we're going to have another service, a prophecy service, which will be preceded by a prophecy Q&A as well. That's the Pleasant Ridge Baptist Church to Funiac Springs, Florida. Come study the prophetic Word of God with us at that time. As promised, David Dolan, with his Middle East news update here at the broadcast table, David, the focus this week was on Holocaust Remembrance Day. This is a very solemn time. They shut down all entertainment centers. They have a time of commemorating how the Holocaust took 6 million Jewish people during the time of World War II under Adolf Hitler and his Nazi regime, but they stopped to remember that so that they'll never allow it to happen again. It was a very solemn time this week, wasn't it?
4: It was, Jimmy, and I've been uh, to many of the ceremonies over the decades commemorating the Holocaust, and they always evoke uh, tears from the participants, and the stories are, in most cases, uh, absolutely harrowing of what happened, and it's unimaginable violence and cruelty and hatred. Prime Minister Netanyahu made a speech during this year's commemoration, as you said, not a celebration, certainly, but a commemoration. And he noted that anti-Semitism is statistically very much on the rise all over uh, the world where there are Jews, particularly in Europe and the United States. He spoke about the two um, attacks on the synagogues in the United States over the past six months, the courage of the people there. But he said, we cannot rest, we can never forget, but we can never stop fighting against the current strain of anti-Semitism. And Jimmy, in in the years that I've been watching these speeches, I think this is the first time that the main emphasis of the uh, Prime Minister's address was the current situation, not just the Holocaust and what happened uh, in the 1940s, but what's happening right now around the world. And he did warn that, you know, another Holocaust is being planned. He's said this many times, but he brought it up again that Iran seems to be plotting the destruction of the Jewish state. They certainly say so. And their allies, that Al-Qaeda and other um, Islamic state and other Sunni Muslim groups uh, have the same goal. And of course, that there are other non-Muslim haters of Zion. We saw that in the attacks in the United States, Jimmy, where they weren't necessarily Muslims doing the attacks, but just anti-Semites. So, this is always a, a, a very moving time in Israel, as you say. Everything stops, all entertainment, and, and uh, people really focus. The television just wipes out all the regular programming and shows uh, movies and documentaries and histories. And always, to me, the most moving were the testimonies of people that actually went through it. And this year we had one of the uh, ladies that lit... The six lights they light at uh, Yad Vashem, the Holocaust memorial in southwest Jerusalem, they, have, they pick uh, different Holocaust survivors every year to do that. That's going to become more and more difficult, as they are, of course, dying off. It's been so long ago. But one of them gave her testimony, and she said that she, as a young girl there, she turned to one of the Nazi guards and said, my mother, my mother, she's been missing for two or three days. What, what have you done with my mother? And he, she said he turned around, pointed to the smokestack, and said, there she is. She's up in smoke. And that that comment, it's, it's moving me right now, but yeah. uh, there wasn't a dry eye in there as, as she was describing that, Jimmy, and that's just the reality of what happened. But again, the emphasis this year, let's not let it ever happen again.
0: Very, very sorrowful time, especially for the families of the survivors. And almost every family in Israel has been touched by the Holocaust. And then you have uh, the leaders in Gaza saying, hey, we're going to take the Jews and throw them in the ditch, just like Hitler. I mean, this is a horrific statement coming out of the Gaza Strip and the the Palestinian terrorists there.
4: Yes, Jimmy, and again, they are firing these rockets. We had three this week uh, fired, one at the port of Ashdod, uh, which is quite a ways north of the Gaza Strip. It's closer to Tel Aviv than it is to the Gaza Strip. Fortunately, it landed in the sea off the port, but that is Israel's largest port, Jimmy. It's not only a commercial port. American cruise ships and European cruise ships stop in there as well. But the Israeli Navy has its major base there as well. So that was a very serious attack by Islamic Jihad, the Israelis said. And they struck the Gaza Strip uh, after that. Then two more rockets were launched at Israeli communities uh, near the Gaza Strip. Well, I said communities. These are civilian areas. They are deliberately trying to kill women and children and men, but everybody, not just soldiers. Sometimes they strike the army bases and that sort of thing, but most of the rockets are indiscriminate. They're aimed at the population centers. Well, what was Hitler doing? He was wiping out the population. He was deliberately uh, doing that, stated that he would do it, and as you say, Hamas is among those that has said we will uh, wipe the Jewish state out, and Islamic Jihad has said that, and their sponsor, Iran, as well. So very, very serious, Jimmy, and the Israelis are watching that situation in Gaza very closely. We've had reports that there could be a stepped-up attack for next week's Independence Day on Thursday. And also there's the Israeli uh, holding, hosting the Eurovision International Music Contest. Mostly European countries participate because, of course, Israel won it, one of their contestants last year. And that is the rule, the one that wins it, hosts it the next year. And there's going to be tens of thousands of people coming from all over the world for that. So uh, there's some threats against it that have been issued by uh, Islamic Jihad and Hamas. So the security will remain very, very tight in the coming days, as it has been uh, really ever since uh, before Passover.
0: According to the White House, David, the presentation of the Trump peace plan to try to bring a resolution to the Israeli-Palestinian conflict will be presented at least about 30 days from now after Ramadan, which begins real soon. And during that time, that presentation is going to challenge the Palestinians to work alongside the Israelis to bring a resolution to the conflict going on. Now, here's news that I want you to speak about. The Saudis are offering Mahmoud Abbas, who is the head of the Palestinian Authority, uh, basically the head of the body politic of the Palestinian people, the Saudis offering $10 billion, that's a B, $10 billion to accept the Trump peace plan. Boy, <laughs> You know that's a good incentive, but I don't know if Abbas is ready to make that concession.
4: Well, in fact, Jimmy, the uh, Arabic newspaper that first reported that said that uh, claimed that Abbas definitely rejected it. He said, "No way could I do that. I would be ousted from power in a moment if I uh, caved into this uh, Western imperialist plot sort of thing." And uh, Crown Prince Salman, who was uh, presenting that to Abbas, apparently, according to the reports, tried repeatedly to convince. Abbas, that this was the way to go. Now, as I said, Jimmy, in the past few weeks, this seems to be the heart and soul of the a deal of the century that the president calls it, and that is money, that they will just flood the uh, Palestinians with money from Saudi Arabia and other places to the point where they will feel the incentive to accept not all of the conditions that they're demanding, let's put it that way, for a final settlement. That seems to be the plan, but it's a talking point that isn't going to go anywhere. It's just the Palestinians will never accept that, Jimmy. I'm certain of it, even though they desperately need the money. Of course, Israel's been withholding some tax revenues that they collect for the Palestinians in some areas that they control, but there's Palestinians living there. They usually turn that over, but they're withholding the same amount that the Palestinians say they're spending to support the families of the terrorists that carry out these insidious attacks. And so the same amount is being withheld, and there's other problems that they're having. Their economy's never really been very good, you know, really don't do much to make it good, frankly. And the terrorism doesn't exactly encourage one of the main sources of income in the Palestinian areas, which is tourism, especially to Bethlehem and the areas surrounding that. So it's a mess, but I, again, Jimmy, say this peace plan will be revealed. It will be opposed strongly by the Palestinians and many others, condemned, in fact, and it will probably go absolutely nowhere.
0: That is what you've always said along, and you still stand with that, don't you?
4: I do. The evidence is just there, Jimmy, and this report uh, has not been denied by Abbas, so it seems to be a true report that this $10 billion was offered. He needs that money desperately, but no way is the money going to overcome the other issues that it would bring up, especially that he's being a traitor and betraying his people, etc. He's just not going to do it.
0: David Dolan, the man who covers the Middle East, a key region in the world, if you study Bible prophecy, you recognize what we talk about in these current events are actually setting the stage for Bible prophecy to be fulfilled. David, thank you so much. You are key in our listening audience, so thank you for being available. We'll talk again next week.
4: Glad to do it, Jimmy. God bless.
0: We're going to take a quick break. When we come back, Winky Madad standing by I'm going to ask him why Independence Day is celebrated May the 8th instead of May the 14th. You need to hear this conversation. It's ahead right here on Prophecy Today.
3: The book of Revelation is God's final word to man, and the timeline of the last days revealed to the Christians. This symbolism-filled example of apocalyptic literature can be difficult to understand, especially when simply reading it from beginning to end. Christians in the last days. To order your copy of Jimmy De Young's Revelation, a chronology, call us toll-free at 877-674-3298. Or visit our website at prophecytoday.com.
0: Hi everybody, Jimmy De Young, and welcome back to Prophecy Today. Great to have you along. We move into the second half hour. Now, if you remember I ask for three half-hour sessions. That would be 90 minutes of information that the broadcast partners will bring to the table, giving you information of current events, details behind these events, and how they actually are setting the stage for Bible prophecy to be fulfilled. By the way, I'll be teaching Bible prophecy all day Sunday and Monday at the Pleasant Ridge Baptist Church in Defuniak Springs, Florida, and we'd love to have you come and study the prophetic word of God. I believe this will be the very first time we've ever been to this church. Pastor Lacroix is going to welcome each and every one in the region who may be listening to the broadcast. As you would come and join us in our study of God's prophetic word, looking forward to having you come and join us. If you do and you've heard us on the radio. Give us a shout out and let us know that you listen to us. We'll be thrilled about that. Okay, now let's get to my conversation with another broadcast partner, Winky Madad. Upcoming next week, according to the Jewish calendar, and I'm going to ask Winky about what is the difference here, there's going to be a celebration of Independence Day, another birthday for the Jewish state of Israel. This will be number 71. And what a year it's been in the 70th birthday, the anniversary of 70 years as a Jewish state among the states of the world, those there in the Middle East in particular. But I said next Wednesday, on May the 8th, this will be the anniversary according to the Jewish calendar. Why the difference between the Christian calendar and the Jewish calendar?
5: Well, Jimmy, I can only say as much as I know. I'm not that good in mathematics, but very simply, the what you call the Christian calendar or the Gregorian calendar is based basically on the solar system, how many times the Earth goes uh, around the sun, and as everybody knows, it's approximately 365 days in a little bit. However, the Jewish calendar, the Hebrew calendar, which is more ancient, was always based on Not only on the sun, but also on the moon. And if the sun count differs, we use the monthly moon calendar and sort of make adjustments.
0: Now, my dear friend, you just heard the evidence that when I ask Winky Madad something, he goes back in his vast memory bank and he pulls up the information that he needs. This is one of the smartest men that I know. That's why we always want to have a conversation as often as we can with Winky Madot. Great explanation, Winky, about not only the Christian calendar, the Jewish calendar, but the Muslim calendar as well. Well, the original time that we remember was May 14th, a Friday afternoon, about 30 minutes before the Shabbat, the Sabbath, would begin when David Ben-Gurion there in Independence Hall in Tel Aviv announced to the world that there was going to be, again, a Jewish nation among all the nations of the world. I've got to ask this question. It seems so simple to me. I want you to explain it to us, though. This is a modern-day miracle. Am I correct? Bringing Jews from all over the world into the land of their forefathers, and now the 71st birthday of this modern-day state of Israel.
5: Jimmy, as you would expect, the short answer is yes. The more complicated answer, I thank you very much for your compliments about my knowledge, and it usually comes from reading. Hmm. And right now I'm reading a two-volume history from 45 to 1948, and the book, almost every page goes by day or week, and it breaks down all the diplomatic efforts, all the arguments uh, with London, the politics in Washington what's going on in Russia, what's happening in the Middle East, getting planes, getting what they called in those days illegal immigrants into the state uh, state of Israel to be by boats coming from Europe. And it's so fascinating, but it also, as you said, is a miracle in the sense that someone had to run things. And I can tell you that the humans, at times, were not doing the best job possible. It was just humanly impossible. I'm looking at and I say, well, someone else is like prodding or pushing or moving things around so that the mistakes that are being made will be made up in another week or two weeks or another month or so. And it's just fascinating to see that period of time and as you say, everything involved politics, finances, military preparation for the war that Ben Gurion knew that was coming continuing the fight against the British to keep up the pressure to make sure they wouldn't come back from turning to the United Nations, turning over Latin American countries to vote for the partition or or the establishment of the state of Israel. Moscow, the Russian communists turning around and supporting the establishment of the state of Israel. That was one of the miracles of that period.
0: Yeah, it certainly was. So many miracles that you have just barely touched uh, the tip of the iceberg on that. Tough beginning. You mentioned the war that Ben Gurion knew was coming. That was the War of Independence. I'm not even sure it's ever come to an end. It seems like they've been fighting it ever since, but that was a a tough way, a rough way to get started as a state, wasn't it?
5: Yes, Jimmy. The amount of Jews in the country at the time were only about 600,000. And the Arabs had the local Arabs, of course. Outnumbered them by more than double. Uh, there are about, I think, about one million two, one million four, something like that, only in the Palestine Mandate borders. And then you had Syria, Lebanon, Iraq, Yemen, Saudi Arabia threatened to send troops. Egypt sent in a modern army. Uh, the Jordanians sent in their frontier force. Possibilities were endless that we weren't going to make it through. But as one person joked. For example, in the Battle of Tfat, or Safed, as it's saying, I think it says in English, they asked the local Jews, how'd you come out on top? He said, well, we had a miracle, and we had God. Mm. And he said, what do you mean? Uh, Doesn't God come with a miracle? He says, no, God was there, we knew. The miracle was that the Pamach made it through. (laughs) You know, one of the pre-state undergrounds managed to break through in in April and early May, uh, before the state was created, in order to break, because the Arabs already started the war, on the morrow of the decision to set up the state in the, back in November. The wow. war was going on for almost six months by the time the state was created, or
0: announced, or established. Yeah. yeah. Well, it's still a pretty tough neighborhood, isn't it?
5: Yes, it is. We have right now Hezbollah in the north, uh, Iran a little <laughs> bit further out, a group of Islamic Jihad, Hamas, or other groups in Gaza still sending missiles, as we speak, Jimmy. This, this past week, there have been a few uh, fallings. There are incendiary balloons and kites that keep coming over, underground tunnels, both in
0: the north and the south. Praise the Lord. We have read the book. We read the last chapter. The ancient prophets said that there will be a Jewish state of Israel, and it will be forever, according to Jeremiah and Isaiah and Ezekiel and many others. We can trust in that, and you'll have many more than just 71 birthdays. Would you not agree
5: I agree again with you, Jimmy. The essence is that man has unlimited powers if he has belief. And there are various levels of belief, and to know that God is on your side, not blindly, but to study His, his Word, and to see what happened in the past two to 3,000 years, and to understand that, in essence, there is a deep morality and ethics in what you read in the Bible— Gives a human the strength to overcome adversarial elements that not every mortal can deal with, and uh, literally, thanks to God, we continue and able to do what we're doing. Uh, not only for us as Jews, not only for the state of Israel, but to show a shining example to the world of many advances and accomplishments and achievements in all sorts of course of life and, and, and industry and agriculture and science.
0: Well spoken, my dear friend. Winky Madad, our broadcast partner, historian, expert in anything I can find to ask him about, and uh, we so appreciate it. And we pray that you'll have a great Independence Day, happy birthday to the state of Israel, and Winky, we'll have a, another conversation, I hope, real soon down the line.
5: Jimmy, thank you very much for having me on, and goodbye to you and our listeners.
0: Winky Madad, great insight and historic background for Independence Day in the state of Israel. Thank you, Winky Madai. Well, we're going to switch regions of the world from the Middle East over to the European Union. John Rood is the man who covers the European Union for us. There is something we can talk about, John, as it relates to Turkey and the European Union. I know several years ago uh, that Tayyip Erdogan, who was the president of Turkey, wanted to have his nation of Turkey become involved as a member state of the European Union. Hesitation uh, by the member states of the European Union looks now like that's a doomed engagement. What do you think about that?
6: Turkey has been one of the most interesting aspects of the European Union expansion. It's been decades now that they've been more or less on hold. It used to be will Turkey become a full member of the, of the European Union was the idea. And then it's kind of turned around where both sides are now using the fact that they most likely will never work together uh, to their own benefit. The first time that I was in the Berlin uh, building of the European Commission headquarters, and I remember that the official then, he goes, Turkey will never be a member of the European Union. Simply because of the population, it would have a large percentage of representation in the European Parliament, which would be a big concern. So they're both kind of using the situation for their own purposes. But the latest elections from President Erdogan, he needs to have some type of coalition with the highly nationalistic party. And so these will exacerbate the conditions to leave Turkey out of the European Union, and indeed the European Parliament has already suspended uh, active negotiations with Turkey. So people underestimate Turkey as a very powerful nation, and yet they're juggling for position in the Middle East in the sense of opposition to the European Union in their favor.
0: As I've studied Bible prophecy, and I know that John, you're a student and teacher of Bible prophecy as well. I've never noticed that uh, Turkey would be a part of the what I would consider the revived Roman Empire, which I also consider the European Union to be at least the infrastructure for I've always thought that Turkey, according to Ezekiel chapter thirty eight in verse two it says Meshach and Tubal, and there in verse six Tagarma and Gomer so that would look like they're a part of the alignment of Islamic nations, which Turkey is, and joining up with Russia, which Turkey and Russia are becoming very close together these days. I thought they would be a part of that alignment, and not necessarily the other major alignment in the Tribulation period, the revived Roman Empire. you have thoughts on that?
6: Uh, Jimmy, I'm in total agreement. I actually couldn't, couldn't say it better myself. <laughs> Many of the uh, ancient names for various uh, locations and tribes point to today's Turkey, and indeed I see them as forming a coalition with Russia, which will come against Israel. Prophetically, I don't think we're looking for Turkey to work closely with the European Union, although it's been in the balance for all these many years. And so Turkey has swung uh, positions, but it's been uh, particularly this last decade or so where they've taken much hardliner stand, which is pushing them towards Russia. So everything you said there, I totally agree.
0: Well, in fact, you just made that statement that it's pushing Turkey towards Russia. And, of course, NATO was put in place to actually be the military arm of the European Union and protect the member states of the European Union from any advancement militarily or any other way from Russia on the member states. So, again, if Turkey's moving towards Russia, that looks like they're following the prophetic scenario that's found in God's Word, doesn't it?
6: Absolutely. And, of course, these are important things to monitor, and particularly when they take accelerated form. The supreme headquarters of the Allied powers in Europe is in Belgium as well. So Belgium is a Belgium is center, and so now we're seeing a lot of tension between Ankara and Brussels. It appears to be accelerating, which points to the reasons you're saying.
0: And right on line with God's prophetic word. That would indicate that as we report the political activities, prophetic coming better into view. Thank you, John. Appreciate the interaction with you today. And uh, we'll be talking to you again next week.
6: Thank you, Jimmy.
0: Very important report from John Rood, who's lived in Brussels, Belgium for a number of years, knows the European Union. He gives us an update on a weekly basis. We look at the political as it sets the prophetic in place to be fulfilled. Always good to be able to talk with John. Another broadcast partner, Sharam Hadiam, is a dear brother in Jesus Christ. He's a pastor of a church. He has an itinerant ministry. And, Sharam, tell us the name of that ministry and your website.
1: Well, our ministry is called the Truth and Love Ministry. Uh, We also travel under the TIL Project or Truth and Love Project Ministry. So the website is TILproject.com, TIL, which is the acronym for Truth and Love, then the word Project.com. We have lots and lots of resources and DVDs and materials that are available there.
0: Well, that would be a great place to bookmark as you put your devices in order so that they can go to that website of Sharam. Sharam, of course, what I'm calling for in our conversation today is a focus on Ramadan. It is a month-long, Muslim fast period of time. I have a number of questions want to get to. Let me ask this one first of all. What does the word Ramadan mean? How would you translate that into English?
1: Well, if I can just uh, start by saying that the actual significance of the word Ramadan is predominantly because of the revelation of the Quran. A lot of people, you know, will will say that it's a time of fasting It Basically, the word itself means to be on fire, to to basically be someone who is, from the Arabic word Ramadan, which means to be hot or on fire for, in this case, for Islam, for the belief system is Islam. But the significance of of the month of Ramadan for Muslims is that they believe that this is the month that the, the Quran was revealed to Muhammad. Now, of course, there's controversy, or a little bit of discrepancy in the Quran, because in one verse it says it was given on one night, another verse it says it was given... During the month of Ramadan, of course, later verses uh, say it was given in parts over a period of time. But it is the holiest you know month for Muslims because of the revelation of the Quran and, of course, the call of fasting during the month from sun up to sun down.
0: Now that fasting during the month, of course, is to celebrate the giving of the Quran. I understand the Quran was actually given by the angel Gabriel, the archangel, to Muhammad himself.
1: Well, it's interesting, Dr. DeYoung, Muslims will say that, and that is the later interpretation. According to the account of Aisha, one of Muhammad's wives, in the Hadith, which is uh, part of or the Sunnah of the Prophet Muhammad, Muhammad initially believed he was possessed. It actually, he believed he was visited by a evil spirit, and he was actually going to go commit suicide. And then... The story changes, and then they say, well, the angel Gabriel showed up to Muhammad and said, no, 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 you're not possessed, this is me, and that's the revelation. So initial early Islamic tradition, if Muslims are honest, that the belief is Muhammad was actually visited by this this spirit that tormented him, he was going to commit suicide, he was then later convinced uh, that this was the angel Gabriel, and now the tradition is that this was the angel Gabriel that gave him the revelation. So uh, we have to understand that Muslims do not believe in the Holy Spirit. They do not believe in the concept of the Spirit. In fact, they believe that this, if there is a Spirit, it's the Spirit of Muhammad that uh, gave you know any revelation. To him, but yes, you're absolutely right that the current uh, belief system is that it was Gabriel who visited him and gave him the the Quran or recited to him the Quran. Even though, by the way, remember he was illiterate, so he could not read or write. But again, the the account is that the angel says to him, "Read," and he goes, "Well, I can't read." This goes back back and forth three times between him and the angel. Uh, So it's very very shaky the foundations of Islam. Uh, and I always tell people, contrast that with the incredible foundation of the Bible,
0: yeah. 40
1: yeah. witnesses over 1,500 years, the Holy Spirit gave us the revelation, God yeah. preserved His Word. Which one should people believe in? The yeah. Bible, not the Quran.
0: Absolutely. Now I was going to ask about his literate personality. He could not read or write but I understand he memorized what uh, the so-called angel Gabriel gave to him, which I would probably have to agree with you. There was most likely an evil spirit that was doing that. How did they write it down?
1: Well, that's also a very interesting story there, and there's a lot of contradiction. Because, again, the significance of Ramadan is that the Qur'an was recited. Because the word Qur'an, you know, in the Arabic with with the Q, Q-U-R-A-N, the word itself in the Arabic means recite. So the idea was that the angel supposedly recited the Qur'an to Muhammad and told him to, to read and write. Well, again, the problem was that apparently uh, if this is a messenger of God, God picked someone who was illiterate, could not read or write. So there's a problem. The story goes on to say, as you said, well, he then memorized. The problem was that it was never written down. It was only in his mind. And an interesting thing happens later on. The Qur'an was never, ever written down during the entire time of Muhammad, even subsequent after Muhammad, during the time of the what's called the Rashtun Caliph. The Qur'an was not written down until Uthman. And what happened was there was a great battle, and the story goes, or the tradition of Islam goes, that there were many scribes that apparently Muhammad had recited the Qur'an to, and they had written different parts of it. Well, there was a battle, and I teach you not, it was called the Battle of Yomamah, and that's the way it's spelled out. <laughs> uh, and during this battle of Yomama, these scribes were killed. And Uthman, who was the third caliph, uh, basically says, okay, you know, now we're panicking. They bring the various written materials from wherever they could find together. And Uthman puts together the Quran. The problem was, Dr. Dion, they found out that there ended up being seven different versions mm. of the Quran, mm. there wasn't just one version now with everything they compiled there's seven versions well they decide the version that is closest to the tribe of muhammad the Quraysh. we will go with that version and Uthman actually orders everything else to be burned mm. and even many muslims don't know this because i ask muslims and they well, can the quran ever be burned they say of course not that was, that's blasphemy mm. never can the quran be damaged or burned and as you know, Muslims place it on a high shelf in their house. Yeah. They can't even put it on the ground or on a table down below. And they don't even know that this is their own history, that according to the what's called the Uthman Recession, that seven versions were brought together, six burned, and apparently that became the version that we have today. But please remember... There is no original copied manuscript of the Qur'an Mm -hmm. dating back to the time of Muhammad or even 200 years after. The earliest manuscripts, intact manuscripts that they find, we're talking late to 9th century, almost 10th century, maybe 890 A.D., even even into the 900s. So Mm. this is a huge problem, and yet Muslims every year during the month of Ramadan are celebrating the supposed infallibility of the revelation of the Quran with yeah. all of these problems that I've just outlined for you.
0: And it's given in Arabic. I guess that came from, supposedly, uh, the angel Gabriel to Muhammad, and then when he recited it, that's what they wrote down in Arabic. What about the rest of the Islamic world that really does not have as their mother tongue Arabic? They have to be able to read in Arabic the Quran is that correct
1: That is correct and this was a problem for me growing up in Iran because as you know Iranians we speak Farsi mm-hmm. we're Persian we don't speak Arabic yet in Iran as a Muslim growing up when I was to recite anything from the Quran I had to recite it in Arabic if I wanted to do my daily prayers I had to pray in Arabic mm. and so and this is something else most people don't realize that today more than 80% of the world's Muslim population are not Arabs.
7: Mm.
5: They
1: don't speak Arabic because Islam is throughout the world. And yet every Muslim is commanded to pray and to read in Arabic only. So my question was growing up as a child, and it was never answered. If Allah, the God of Islam, is supposed to be the creator of the heavens and the earth, and He's our creator, and He is the omnipotent, all powerful God, as they claim, how can it be? that if he created me in Iran and gave me a Farsi language, that he doesn't understand that language, Hmm. that I can't communicate to him in that language. How is that possible? And so this is one of the factors for me, Dr. Dion, that led me out of Islam, because when I came to realize that the true God, the one true God, the God of Israel, the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, that God speaks every language, and that God created us he understands us and we can communicate to him even in our own mother language wow what an amazing contrast
0: that is an amazing amazing contrast well one final quick question answer if you will the custom seems to be there's an uptick in violence during the month of ramadan quickly why is that the case and do you think it'll be that way this year as well
1: Unfortunately, yes. And I want to give your listeners a great website, And if I haven't given this before, where they can actually track, if they're interested in tracking these attacks, there's a, there's a great website called TheReligionOfPeace.com, not org, com. So it's all one word, TheReligionOfPeace.com. And of course, it's not in any way promoting Islam as a religion of peace. It's showing that, unfortunately, it is not historically and today a religion of peace. And every year, they actually track the jihadi attacks during, well, they actually track it every month, but they track it especially during the time of Ramadan. And every time we see a massive uptick, uh, typically each month there may be 100, 150 attacks. We see during Ramadan 600, 700, 800 attacks. So this uptick is consistent with Islamic teaching. And in fact, most people don't realize also that Muhammad himself was ordained by Allah to fight during the month of Ramadan, one of the famous battles. In 624 A.D. was the Battle of Badra, where Muhammad actually fought in the region outside of, of Mecca uh, to advance Islam. So so if, if Muhammad was ordained to fight the unbelievers during the month of Ramadan, that means that his followers today are ordained to wage jihad against unbelievers. So when Muslims come out in the media and say, Ramadan is a month of peace and we should not be waging, they're actually going against their own text. They're going against their own prophet, and maybe they're ignorant, they don't know, or maybe they're deceiving us, but it's just not factually accurate. Ramadan is ordained as a month to advance Islam and to fight the unbelievers. Muhammad did it himself.
0: You're listening to the voice of Sharam Hadian. He has a ministry uh, that tries to, number one, show the Muslim people that they need to turn to the true God of the Bible— and of course, through his son, Jesus Christ, come to know him, and then be able to live eternity with him, and showing us the fallacy of Ramadan, that month, number one, and number two, the Quran, the so-called holy book of the Muslim people. Sharam, thank you so very much. I appreciate this insight that you've given us. It's a very important insight for the Body of Christ, who are tuned into this broadcast, Prophecy Today, for them to know and understand. Thank you so much, my good friend. I hope to be able to talk to you again real soon.
1: Thank you, Dr. DeYoung. Amen, and blessings
0: to all your listeners. Very informative conversation with Sharam Hadian, talking about Ramadan, uh, the month period of fasting by the Muslim people in celebration of the giving of their holy book, the Quran. We're going to have to take a break right now. When I come back, I'll have another broadcast partner. David James, he's standing by. We're going to discuss anti-Semitism this week. You do not want to miss that. It's all ahead right here on Prophecy Today. Hi, everybody. Jimmy DeYoung, and welcome back to Prophecy Today. We're moving into our last half hour David James, standing by, we're going to have a conversation about anti-Semitism. And a great surprise for us, our son, Jim Jr., who is in Jerusalem right now. Jim, how's the tour going? You've been having a great time there in the land of the Bible?
8: Oh, we have, Dad. It's been great here. This has been a great week to be in Israel. We just went through the Holocaust Remembrance Day, a great time to see the people of Israel as they remember the events that took place in the Holocaust, and to see the hope that they're looking forward to the future for the building of Israel.
0: Yeah, and next week is going to be Independence Day, the 71st birthday. You'll be there in the land, and your brother Richard will be joining you. You've got another tour coming in right after this one, don't you?
8: We do. It's fantastic this year, two groups back-to-back, and then we have two groups in the fall that are coming in.
0: What are those dates, Jim?
8: Those dates are September 11th through the 23rd, 2019, that's Israel and Jordan, and then October 30th through November
0: 11th. Wow, those are going to be great times for people to be in the land of the Bible. And Jim Jr., our oldest son, along with his brother Rick, will be there to have a great time traveling through this wonderful land of the Bible, giving you new insight into what's going on. Look at it, Israel past, Israel present, Israel future. Jim, everything is safe there in the land, so you can invite people to come and enjoy this exciting opportunity.
8: There's no better time, like right now, to plan your trip to come to Israel. It's perfect time to come. Come on and join us.
0: Yes, indeed. Well, uh, that address, if you want more information, would be my website, prophecytoday.com, and then go to Joshua Travel. And at that point, you'll be able to find out the dates again. Jim just gave them to you. You'll find out the itinerary, the cost, and everything else you need to know to join Jim Jr. and Rick, our two sons, on a tour of the land of the Bible. We now bring to these microphones David James. And you might remember last week we mentioned that David was on his way up to Word of Life Bible Institute in Canada.
7: I had a great week teaching, and uh, I've avoided the snow. I think we're finally into spring. It did uh, snow just a little bit the day I arrived, but it's been rainy and cool, but I think we're past the snow, and I'm looking forward to another week with these great students and staff who are here.
0: Well, that's a great opportunity, and we've been praying for you, and we'll continue to do that this next week. Now, David, in the week of the recent shootings there at the synagogue in Southern California, and the rise of anti-Semitism that is being reported around the world, I wanted us to have a conversation and discuss this topic, looking at it through history and even up to our present day. Maybe uh, where we can start is with the term anti-Semitism itself. How did we get that word and what does it mean?
7: Well, it goes back to actually one of the sons of Noah, who was named Shem. Uh, and after the flood of Noah's day, the descendants of Shem initially populated the region of the Middle East, while uh, his brother uh, Ham's descendants generally went to the east and to the s- south into northern Africa, and then Japheth's descendants generally went to the north. So the descendants of Shem came to be known as the Semitic peoples, which is a term that was coined in the late 1700s. And of course, Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. uh, the patriarchs of the nation of Israel, were descendants of Shem. Now, the term anti-Semitism came out of a series of social and political developments in Germany in the late 1800s and was connected with negative attitudes toward the Jews and the resulting tension between ethnic Germans and ethnic Jews. And as we all know, this reached a horrible climax under Hitler in the Third Reich. So today, anti-Semitism refers to any discriminatory or negative or even hostile attitudes and actions directed against the Jewish people Uh, individual Jews, and of course the nation of Israel as a whole.
0: Let's stay back in history for a while, not maybe 4,500 years ago to the time of the flood, but historically. How, when, and why would you say that anti-Semitism actually got started?
7: We are going to go back real quickly, about 4,000 years. Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob were descendants of Shem, and it was through these three men that God raised up the nation of Israel. And God made eternal covenant promises to Abraham and his descendants, and through the descendants of Jacob, God is going to establish his kingdom on the earth. And with the king and savior coming through Judah, who is one of Jacob's 12 sons, Satan has been at war with God since his rebellion against God, and it's something I call the Conflict of the Ages and Satan is determined to establish himself as the supreme ruler over everything, the entire universe, which would include the earth and even what has become Israel. So this means that he has set his sights on Israel and has been intent on destroying the nation because that is God's chosen people and it's through them that the king and savior would come. So his strategy throughout history has included citing all the peoples of the world to hatred and war against the Jewish people. So I would say the anti-Semitism actually began 4,000 years ago against Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, and that it is demonic to the core.
0: Let's come a bit forward, if we can, in the scriptures especially, and we can certainly see that this conflict of the ages, as you called it, Satan's war against God and his people, it's been playing out over and over again, a biblical history type of time.
7: That's right. And again, I would even go back to Abraham, because that's where it started. And Abraham had a son, Ishmael, through Hagar, who was an Egyptian. And Ishmael's descendants settled into what is now the area of Saudi Arabia, which was the birthplace of Islam. So that potential conflict has been going on, or the stage has been set for it for 4,000 years. To the present day, there's been conflict between the offspring of Jacob, the father of the nation of Israel, and Esau, his brother, who became the father of of the Edomites, and that's been a perpetual conflict to the present day. The Israelites became slaves in Egypt. The Egyptians saw them as a threat. Uh, so much so that an edict was put out that all the Hebrew baby boys were killed at birth in order to destroy the nation of Israel from within. In the Promised Land, there were constant battles against the Canaanites, the Philistines, the Amalekites, and so many others, and paganism, pagan idolatry was brought into the nation as Satan tried to incite God to destroy the nation as the Israelites became uh, very much idolaters through intermarriage with pagan women. The northern kingdom Israel was destroyed by the Assyrians in 722 B.C. The southern kingdom of Judah, including Jerusalem and the temple, were destroyed by Babylon, and Israel was taken into captivity for 70 years. Then when Christ was born, Israel was under the iron fist of the Roman Empire, and Herod of the Roman Empire was actually ethnically an Edomite. And he murdered all the boys under two years old, trying to put to death Jesus Christ, who was born king of the Jews. And then the Romans destroyed Jerusalem and Herod's temple in 70 AD. So this completely went on throughout the entire of biblical
0: history. You know, it's always good to have a historic background if you're going to look at an issue. So now let's, though, make a move beyond biblical history and into the first century of the church what have been some of the key developments or events relating to anti-Semitism till the Reformation in the 16th century?
7: Persecution under the Roman Empire continued. The Roman Empire mercilessly persecuted both Christians and Jews well into the 4th century. Then moving ahead to the 7th century, when Islam was born, again, a satanic religion, which has become a mortal enemy of Israel and Jews around the world. And we see this play out on our TV screens every single day. And then as the church developed in Europe in the Middle Ages, the prevailing view became that the Jews were Christ killers. That's the way they were seen, and so they became the subject of persecution by the institutional church in Europe. That would be the Roman Catholic Church. And during the Inquisitions, Jews were among those who were tortured and killed if they didn't convert to Roman Catholicism. And then during the same time, Jerusalem was ground zero for the Crusade, when Christians and Muslims battled for control of the Promised Land, and especially Jerusalem, and the few Jews left in the land were caught in the crossfire. So all these things were happening up to the time of the Reformation.
0: Okay, that sets it up at that time in history, 16th century. You know, one of the things we've often discussed on this program, quite a few times, in fact, is how covenant theology has even been able to play a key role through history to form an anti-Semitic situation. Now talk to me first of all about uh, and give our listeners some quick insight into covenant theology and then get into the question how they have played a a role in some form of anti-Semitism.
7: Well, covenant theology does not believe that Israel has a future in God's program, and they believe that there is only one people of God going all the way back to Adam, that the Church is the latest expression of that, and so the Church inherits the promises of God in a spiritual way rather than the literal way that they were were given. And this all comes out of what happened at the time of the Reformation, and even though the doctrine of salvation by grace through faith was recovered during the Reformation, attitudes toward Jews frequently remain. as as well as the eschatology of the Catholic Church, which was on millennialism, which says that we are in the kingdom of God now, and Israel and the Jewish people have no future in God's program, and that view carried through much of what happened after the Reformation to the present day. So if Israel has no future in God's program, then they don't have a right to the land. And this problem continues to exist, obviously, in the Roman Catholic Church, but it also carried over from the Reformation into many mainline, Protestant denominations, especially Reformed and Presbyterian churches, which do hold the Covenant theology and believe that the Church has replaced Israel in God's program, and it all comes down to how we interpret the Bible. You know, dispensationalism holds that Israel does have a future, and that is why we hold to Zionism and stand with Israel. You know, I just saw a couple of days ago in the Jerusalem Post an article that included a picture that says, that said anti-Zionism is a form of anti-Semitism, and much of the Church today, and even among more and more evangelical churches, there is an anti-Zionist sentiment, seeing that the Jews are the oppressors of the Palestinians, and that the Palestinians are Actually, the rightful owners of the land that belongs to Israel. And it has ripple effects the way people view Israel, the nation, whether they're going to stand with them, even attitudes toward the Jewish people themselves, sometimes in its more extreme forms.
0: Earlier on today's program, David, we discussed the Holocaust of the last century under Adolf Hitler. And we know that the Muslim world would love to see another one. And we also know. There's an even greater Holocaust yet ahead in Israel's future under the Antichrist. So what advice do you have for our listeners in light of what we're seeing happen today to the Jewish people and what awaits them in the tribulation period?
7: I think there are several things that we should really consider and put into practice in our, in our lives. So first of all, I'd say we should support or at least stand with ministries that seek to evangelize and disciple Jews with the gospel of Christ so that they will actually miss that Holocaust that's coming after the rapture of the church. That's, that's one of the most important things. If you're in an area with a Jewish population, take time to learn how to reach them with the Gospel and learn to effectively respond to their objections to the idea that Jesus is their Messiah. I would also say this, and this may be a bit controversial, but uh, if someone belongs to a church that doesn't believe Israel has a future in God's program, honestly, I think they should leave and try to find a solid church that holds to dispensationalism, because dispensationalists in general, I would say, strongly stand against anti-Semitism. And then finally, I'd say, when you go into the voting booth, Make sure you know who you're voting for, especially in higher levels of government like the President and Congress and as well as legislators at the state level and look for those who are strong in their support of Israel and the right of the Jewish people to the land that God promised to them.
0: By the way, that future Holocaust, you can read about it there in Zechariah chapter thirteen and verse eight. Let me also ask this final thought, David. Do you believe that this spread of anti Semitism may come from a lack of teaching Bible prophecy in the local church. There's a lot of uh, spreading of anti-Semitism among the churches today.
7: It may not be the overt anti-Semitism, but it's certainly anti-Israel because they don't believe Israel has a future in God's program. And, And so, as we have said many times, this comes out of how you handle the Bible, how you interpret it correctly from Genesis to Revelation, including the prophetic passages. And if you hold to that, you will understand and have a proper perspective on Israel, their future in God's program, and how we and what our stance should be, even as individual Christians, toward the Jewish people in general and even our Jewish neighbors.
0: Part of our mission purpose here on Prophecy Today is to relate to the world from God's prophetic word how he does have a plan for the Jewish people. That plan will be fulfilled. I think this was a key conversation that we needed to have, David, in light of the truth that you've brought to our attention today. Thank you so much. Have great uh, teaching sessions up there in Word of Life Canada, and we'll talk to you again next week.
7: Great. Thanks so much, Jimmy. I think it was an important conversation as well.
0: We're going to take a break. When we come back, I'll open the Bible. We'll take a look at the book right here on Prophecy Today. Every believer
3: needs to understand Bible prophecy. Whether you're a novice or a student, we are here to help you. Just visit prophecytoday.com and click on the link for the Prophecy Bookstore. There you will find a large selection of CD sets, DVDs, and books for the Bible Prophecy Student written by Dr. Jimmy DeYoung and other prominent scholars. While you're there, be sure to check out Dr. DeYoung's latest series called Presidents, Politics, and Prophecy. This series examines how God has used human leaders in general, and specifically the last seven U.S. presidents, to set the stage for Bible Prophecy to be Fulfilled. This was shot on location in Washington, D.C., and is available on DVD or as a 10-hour audio series on CD. Be sure to check back often for special deals. You can visit prophecytoday.com and click on Bookstore, or you can go directly to prophecybookstore.com. Have you always wanted to visit the land of Israel? Imagine what it would be like to walk in the footsteps of Jesus. With Joshua Travel, you can visit Israel past, present, and prophetic. The Bible will come alive as you see places like the shepherd's field where our Lord was born, Caesarea Philippi, Cana of Galilee, Capernaum, the Garden of Gethsemane, and the Garden Tomb. You'll even experience an exciting boat ride on the Sea of Galilee. Call Joshua Travel today at 423-821-3635 to find out more about this trip of a lifetime, or you can visit us online at joshuatravel.com.
0: It's time right here on Prophecy Today for us to take a look at the book. You know, we've given you 90 minutes of information from our broadcast partners who had key reports helping us to look at current events in light of biblical prophecy. And, of course, that helps us to realize the urgency of today. Today seems to indicate everything is drawing very close to the time when Jesus Christ will return to the earth. Now having said that, you must remember seven years prior to his return to the earth, the rapture will take place when you and I, as born-again Bible-believing Christians, will be caught up to meet him in the air. I believe that time of the rapture really could even happen today. More on that in a moment. But uh, I want you to realize that all these events that we talk about with our broadcast partners, actually are setting the stage for this prophetic scenario found in the Word of God to be fulfilled. I want you to hear what our broadcast partners had to say. Of course, if you've given us 90 minutes, you've already heard from my broadcast partners around the world But if you weren't able to do that, or if you had to slip away during the broadcast, you might want to go back to my website, prophecytoday.com. Go over to PTRN, Prophecy Today Radio Network. There you will find that we have archived all the conversations we had with our broadcast partners today. This will be good. You may want to re-listen to some of them. And for sure, if you will, take a moment, call a friend, or send them a link to this particular website, prophecytoday.com, P-T-R-N, so they'll be able to listen to what our broadcast partners had to say. For example, Ken Timmerman. We talked with Ken about the reappearance of the leader of Islamic State, Al-Baghdadi. After five years, this man comes back on the scene. He is using the Internet this time. And during that absence of five years, al-Baghdadi has been working with Islamic State. Also during that time, they lost their geography there in Mosul, Iraq. However... With the Internet, they can have a virtual caliphate. That's exactly what one of the authors in Israel wrote about a long time ago. I had an interview with him. We talked about the fact, forget the land. Geographically, they don't need it. But if they can use the Internet, they can set up a virtual caliphate, which will be the apparatus by which they can control the world. This is a very important report from Ken. You need to recognize we are in a time period when al-Baghdadi could move ahead and establish a terror threat across the world through his virtual caliphate. David Dolan always appears with us on the broadcast to give us a Middle East news update. The focus this week in Israel has been Holocaust Remembrance Day. You know, this is a period of time when the Jewish people in the state of Israel stop. I mean, they literally stop right in the middle of the street. On Holocaust Remembrance Day, about 11 o'clock in the morning, a siren nationally sounds and everybody driving down the highway, driving down their roads in the towns will stop. If they're on a bus, they stand up in the bus. If they're an automobile, they just simply get out and stand at attention beside it. If they're in a store, wherever they are, they honor the six million Jews who lost their lives in that terrible Holocaust during World War II under Adolf Hitler and his Nazi regime. Their purpose, of course, is to remember all that happened so that they can confirm the fact never again will this take place. The Bible does talk about a coming Holocaust, one worse than the one in World War II. That's found in Zechariah chapter 13 and verse 8. That passage of Scripture talks about the seven-year tribulation period, the time of Jacob's trouble, when two out of every three Jews will be killed on this earth. That will be a worse holocaust than the one in World War II. We must do everything we can to warn Jewish people and then give them the truth of the Messiah, Jesus Christ, so that they will be able to escape that coming holocaust. I spent some time talking with Winky Madad. Next Wednesday will be the 71st birthday for the Jewish state of Israel. Now, that's according to the Jewish calendar. That will be the 8th of May. Of course, it was the 14th of May on a Friday afternoon just prior to the Sabbath when David Ben-Gurion announced to the world that, once again, the Jewish nation of Israel was a state among all the nations in this world. Happy birthday to Israel, and next week we'll talk more about how God miraculously put this in place. In fact, that's the word that Winky did use. It was a miracle, a modern-day miracle, the Jewish state of Israel. John Rood gave us information about the European Union and Turkey no longer working together in order to have Turkey become a member state in the European Union, which fits right into the prophetic scenario in God's Word as well. And then Shiram Hadian gave us information about Ramadan. That's a 30-day fast for the Muslim people when they commemorate the giving of the Quran, the holy book for the Muslim people given to Muhammad the prophet and supposedly given by the angel Gabriel, which of course is a lie if we're talking about the angel of God's holy word, Gabriel, who told Mary she would have a son, his name would be Jesus Christ. The Quran even says that Allah, the God of the Muslim people, never had a son that makes him according to 1 John chapter 2 and chapter 4 a antichrist because that passage of scripture in the Holy Bible given by God himself says anybody who rejects that Jesus Christ was the living son of God in the flesh is an antichrist and we talked about how During Ramadan, violence may tick up as it relates to the Muslim people. That's what David and I had to talk about. David James and I having a conversation on anti-Semitism. You know, everything else we talked about, the Holocaust, and also Ramadan giving us evidence anti-Semitism is on the rise. It's only going to increase in its intensity as we draw closer to the time of the return of the Lord, and prior to that, of course, the rapture of the church. And by the way, you know, every single conversation I've had today is tangible evidence that that rapture, the next event on God's calendar of activities, could take place at any moment. And having made that statement, nothing left for me to say except let's keep looking up until.